Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Oh, dear Lord, how much I feel at home in this pulpit. Goodness sakes. Something on the order of being in the right place at the right time with the right people. Grounded, connected, in sync. How much I have missed you these past seven weeks. I've been in places where Christian churches are few and far between, and that's an overstatement. And even though I get to a wonderful part of the world that I love so dearly, I really miss being at an altar in a sanctuary with an eclectic assortment of God's people who call themselves the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. I am so happy to be home. While traveling parts of Asia, certain apps on my iPhone allow me to stay in touch with the church. I take full advantage of them. I often listen to daily morning prayer, and there are several apps that give us that. I watch celebrations of the Eucharist. I sing all the hymns thanks to YouTube, and there are 6,000 renditions of the hymns. I can listen to at least a million organ concerts, and some of them even from Trinity Cathedral. In the tiny, little tiny, but all too gorgeous nation of Bhutan, my native guide told me that he and his family were, of all things, Christian. Only 0.5% of the population is Christian in Bhutan. Most of the people are Buddhist, and a few are Hindu, and a tiny amount are Christian. In fact, they found out that I was a priest, and they almost started speaking in tongues. They had not seen a priest for a long time. They said, please come to the house on the Feast of Pentecost. Celebrate a house communion with us. Well, I didn't go into the mechanics of that, and I didn't ask any bishop's permission. We just did it. And I said, don't you tell a soul. Eleven of us gathered together in the family room of a small Middle Asian home. My two Hindu friends from Rajasthan who accompanied me two Buddhist neighbors of theirs from Nepal, six Bhutanese Christians, including a nine-year-old acolyte named Patrick, and me with my cell phone version of the Book of Common Prayer. Well, you know, if you went to Pentecost celebration here, the epistle reading that day comes from the Book of Acts, and it it has the most wonderful names in it. Lay readers love it. We speak in that reading of the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, and the Cappadocians, all huddled together in one place, all on the tiptoe of expectation, all awaiting power from above. Only in this case, it was the Bhutanese, it was the Indians, it was the Nepalese, and an American. All of us hearing the good news that the loving Spirit of God is spread abroad to every nation and every continent and always there for the asking. If that wasn't a Pentecostal experience of the first order, I've missed my calling. Beginning on that Sunday of Pentecost, really continuing today, all the Sundays of the year, no doubt you faithful worshipers in this place have noticed that the gospel readings are clear, they are to the point, and they are unequivocal 
in their proclamation that God is love, that God loves you, that God loves me and all God's creation. You've heard those words until you are probably blue in the face. And just to say them reminds me that they often go in one ear and right out the other. But today I feel the need to put an exclamation point on our understanding that worship of a loving God, adoration of a loving God, as the hymn just pointed, creates a loving, nurturing, accepting, and hospitable people. This morning from Luke, we have Jesus exhorting us on how to approach God and then giving us some clear indicators on what to expect from the encounter. The passage is a case of love in no uncertain terms. And within this hellish period in our history through which we are living, I say, listen up. Your salvation, your wholeness depends on you taking this in. Jesus says, don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse hide and seek game in which we are involved. Now, if your little boy asks you for a serving of fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? And if your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a scorpion? As bad as you are, or in the translation we heard, as evil as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. And don't you think that the Father who conceived you in love will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask. I kind of shudder at the word bad in here, but I understand Jesus when I look at the word and unpack it. It says, as self-centered, as conflicted, as ego-driven, as all about me and full of mixed motives as you are and as I am, you wouldn't think of leading your own children down the primrose path that leads to perdition. You're going to try your level best to provide, care for, love, nurture, and protect those entrusted to you. And if that be true about you, then good God Almighty, how do you think that the Father who conceived you in love is going to relate and respond and to receive you? Jesus is very clear when it comes to a relationship with the divine. He says, ask and you'll get, seek and you'll find. Knock on the door will open to you. There is no prayer, we say, that does not go unanswered. God cares for his children. God loves his creation. God is doing for us far better things than we can ever ask or imagine. And you don't have to tell me that you've encountered problems with words like these. No doubt you've prayed your heads off at times without getting the kind of response you expected. No doubt you've knocked fervently, sought earnestly, asked importunately on many occasions, only to receive what feels like silence. I certainly have no easy answers when it comes to a relationship with the divine and the mystery of prayer, but I do know that Jesus and others keep encouraging us to persist in our petitions. Hear the gospel this morning? Go and knock on the door and wake up that grumpy man. And even if he says the door is locked, keep on doing it. Persist. Maintain a close relationship with God Almighty no matter what. 
and allow God to answer in God's own inimitable and mysterious way. On my arrival home a few days ago, I hot-footed it to a 12-step recovery meeting. As many of you know, one of my mainstays of spiritual living. In that meeting, I heard a gentleman, a young gentleman, talk about his experience of getting sober from a terrible disease. How at first he went to his church seeking help. A natural thing to do, go to the church, ask the church for help with this problem. And how he was excoriated, censured, criticized severely for ever drinking in the first place. And then given a dose of hell's fire so painful that he never darkened the doors again. He said, even when I pass the church on the street, I think that the lightning is about to strike. What a thing to think about the church, the giver of gifts. Now, if your little boy asks for a serving of fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? What church that traffics in the gospel of Jesus behaves with such bad news to a seeker, a penitent, and one asking sincerely for help? A few days later, a young friend approached me and told me how she, as a teenager, had approached her minister with an earnest desire for help. She was 14 years old. She said, I have very painful issues of conflict in my life, gender identity. Let me talk that out with you, only to receive a rebuke, castigation with the language of abomination, and a directive to exit the congregation, a 14-year-old. Jesus said, if your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a scorpion? For those who profess to be Christian and still deal the cards of judgment and condemnation, I sometimes wonder what gospel they're reading. The gospel of Jesus is good news. It can't be anything but that. It's never bad. Gospel is salvation. It's not annihilation. There is no room in my understanding, as limited as it may be, for pushing anyone out are sending anyone away. The door is open. In a captivating narrative of service, as a youth minister in one of the prominent churches of Jonesboro, a young man whose name is Brandon Wallace in a little book called Straight Face speaks of grace. And what is that? We have to remember that over and over again. What's the definition of grace? It's the love, the care, the nurture, the goodness, and most especially the power of God given to us when we least expected, desperately need it, and are no more worthy of it than is the woman or the man in the moon. This young man says, if there's one thing that youth ministry has taught me in Jonesboro, it's that teenagers respond to grace. And I expect that would be true in Little Rock as well. I'd always been taught, says the young man, a hellfire and brimstone gospel, even into my college years. Honestly, a lot of teenagers respond to that in the moment. It leads to mass altar calls with students crying their eyes out, weeping for God to save them from judgment. However, it doesn't stick for most of them. Statistics show us that for the last decade, when students hit the age of 18, a majority of, them, majority of them leave the church, some of them for good. But you know there's grace. Well, grace is a different story. 
And then he says, grace excites teenagers. Instead of filling them with fear, hellfire and brimstone saps their energy from them. Grace gives them joy and peace. The gospel of judgment makes kids scared to go to God. The gospel of grace leads them to their heavenly father, to their Abba. This applies to all people, not just teenagers. It just took me a while to figure that out, says Brandon Wallace. Okay, and for me, absence from the church, even for as short a period as two months, has a way of making the heart grow fonder, at least my heart. On coming home, I find myself quite alert to the haven of grace that we have here. The gospel of love is practiced in this place. We live it out in our community, in our allegiance to Jesus and his teachings, our participation in his life through word and sacrament, our message of welcome and inclusion, and our emphasis on relationships that give life and not death, salvation, not condemnation. And of course, music that so often takes me to the gates of heaven. In the little house communion that took place in Paro, Bhutan, I played recordings of our music here at the cathedral through the vehicle of my cell phone. And the music literally blew the thatch roof off that little Asian house. We need to send money to help them repair it. Presiding Bishop Michael Curry spoke to a group of young people this past week, and I'll close with his inspired sermon. This was at the Union of Black Episcopalians and their annual convention. His words were addressed to the children of that group, and mostly children of color And uh, heard this preachment. He said, lift up your heads, dear children, and behold your God. You are a baptized follower of Jesus Christ. Follow in his footsteps, live his teachings. Walk his way of love. I'm telling you, walk his way of love. Stand up for Jesus. Lift up your heads and then face whatever this world presents you. Walk together, children. Walk together. And don't you get weary. Don't you ever get weary. Just remember and never forget that there is a great camp meeting awaiting you and me in the promised land right over there on the horizon. And if you look real hard, you can just about see it from here. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.